So Money Episode 109, Valerie Rhine. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining me, whether you're on your commute, walking your dog at the gym. I am honored to have you joining me because I know there are a lot of podcasts out there to choose from and you have chosen to listen here and hopefully it will not disappoint. Today's guest is uh, someone I've been wanting to talk to for quite some time and it's because, you know, we all have a friend or a previous friend who, say, borrowed money and then never paid back, right? Or worse, an ex-spouse who ran off with our money or an inheritance, never paid alimony, just the subject of financial infidelity, financial dishonesty within our relationships, whether it's with friends, with loved ones, is uh, something that I think we all can relate to on some level. And so my guest today is an expert on this. She's the author of a book with lots of stories like that, including some of her own. Her name is Valerie Rind, and she's the author of Gold Diggers and Deadbeat Dads, True Stories of Friends, Family, and Financial Ruin. Valerie is both a corporate attorney and a financial writer. She leads with her own personal financial catastrophes involving family, from losing her life savings after trying to help support a relative's business to feeling financially cheated in a previous marriage. She writes about personal finance at ValerieRyan.com and contributes to various media outlets. Several takeaways from our time with Valerie. You don't want to miss this. One, the financial dishonesty in her marriage that ended the relationship. What vehicles, cars taught her about money as a kid growing up. And the first person she'd call upon winning the lottery. A very important person. Here is Valerie Rind. Valerie Rind, welcome to So Money. I am really looking forward to talking to you. Thanks, Farnoosh. It's great to be here. And um, I'm noting that it's um, tax day. Uh, Yes. (laughs) We are recording this on tax day. It's going to air in a couple of weeks. How did your taxes go? Mine are done. Mine are, I already got my refund. How about you? Uh, Not so good. I had one um, piece of paper that I was still waiting for and hasn't come in. So there's a a flurry of um, extensions Mm. being filed. Thank gosh for extensions. And good luck to anyone listening if you're uh, still dealing with taxes after the fact, after the date. So I have been wanting to speak with you one-on-one for some time, ever since we crossed paths at FinCon 14, knowing that you had this really, really interesting book coming out, and now it is out, Gold Diggers and Deadbeat Dads, True Stories of Friends, Family, and Financial Ruin. I think everyone hearing that title probably has a story, you know, of whether it was something like a friend ran off with a quote-unquote loan, um, a spouse that uh, still owes alimony, um, a business partner that cheated them out of, I mean, I've interviewed guests on this show that have been uh, just shattered financially from um, a poor choice of business partners. So uh, this book is very relevant and I'm so happy you wrote it. This was born out of your own kind of 
challenges when it came to money and family and friends. Tell us how it all began. What was your like aha moment that I need to write this book and tell everybody about how to navigate this very real situation? Okay. Well, I had um, two aha moments, I guess, with the same person um, who's now my ex-husband. And the first one was um, I caught him in um, an incredible fabrication um, that I couldn't have seen coming. And I don't think anybody else could have could have seen coming where um, I found out the um, apartment that we've been living in um, was not owned by him. He had led me to believe that it was his condo. He owned it. And when we moved out, um, he was going to keep it for investment purposes. And eventually we would sell it and buy our own house. And uh, time went on. And I found out eventually he had, he didn't own it, had never owned it. And obviously it wasn't part of our um, financial assets for the future. And I was just, um, dumbfounded. Um, and, um, I made the the choice at that time that uh, that we were done, that I could never trust him again. And I sort of likened it to walking into your bedroom, you find your spouse with somebody else. Uh, some people are able to work through that and get over it. Um, but I felt like the, the trust was so fundamental. I mean, this has been going on for 10 years wow. um, that I, I wasn't going to be able to get past that. Why did he lie about that, do you think? Um, well, I... I asked him, um, and I sort of guessed at what it was. I, uh, he, um, I sort of guessed that um, he felt sort of insecure that he didn't have a flashy place to live and a you know expensive car and and, and tons of things, and so he thought um, you know he needed to impress me or, or something, and uh, which made me really angry. Um, and I said to him, well then you, you really didn't, you know, know me as a person when you met me and you don't know me now. If you thought, you know, some stupid condo was going to make the difference whether I would love you or not, then um, if you really thought I was that shallow, um, then you, you really don't know me. You say it was nearly impossible to know this was going on at the time, but now in hindsight because we have such clear vision after the fact, were there any red flags that perhaps for listeners in a relationship, hopefully not, where there may be some financial, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, dishonesty, any red flags that you think now, oh my gosh, yeah, I should have seen that coming? Um, No, that's the unfortunate thing is that there really weren't. I mean, he was one of those people that was just really good at having an answer to absolutely everything. I mean, some people are like that. They're sort of chameleon-like and they can sort of make the um, the best of everything and sort of shape themselves to be how what they think you want them to be. And um, at the time I uh, was going through law school and I started um, working, so I was a bit bit distracted, um, but I would ask these questions and sometimes I wouldn't follow up. Uh, We started running into some uh, financial troubles of our own and I proposed a number of options and I said, well, why don't we move back into the condo because the, the, quote, mortgage, (laughs) there was no mortgage, Um, the, the supposed mortgage would be less than the rent we were paying in the bigger apartment we had moved to and um, I said, well, why don't you ask the, you know, quote, property manager, <laughs> of which there wasn't one, um, why don't you ask him if 
uh, you can give the tenants uh, an incentive to move out early or something. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And uh, me being sort of stuck in my my own little world, I, I didn't follow up on it. So mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, that was my bad for just sort of not um, not following up. But there was no reason to suggest that um, there wasn't a property manager and there weren't tenants in it um, mm-hmm. or, or any of the rest. Well, I mean, it's your husband, you know, and also when we're talking about money and friends and family, there's sort of this code of honor that you just think is never going to be broken, right? This like trust that's just implied. And when it's actually not always the case, and I think very few people know how to go about picking up the pieces when something like this happens. There's not a lot of literature around it. There's not a lot of direction. Thank goodness for your book. Um, what's been the reaction to your to your book? Um, have people just been coming up to you and saying, thank you, and yes, and this, you know, you've been reading my mind? And um, any, any anecdotes of people, like, actually reading your book and using it as a vehicle to, you know, get them in a better place? Sure. Well, my philosophy is sort of that there's something for everyone in the book that there's something everybody can relate to you know unfortunately and if they if they haven't had such an experience they sure know somebody who has and if they say well nothing like that has happened to me and nothing like that has happened to anybody i know it just means it's happened to somebody they know but that person is so embarrassed uh, by it that they just haven't told them um so i think um, since it covers so many of the different financial topics, it covers loans, it covers um, premarital issues, it covers wills and trusts, it covers um, co-signing, and um, it, it really it runs the, the cradle to grave. So uh, I think there's something everyone can relate to. So that's why people have come to me and say, oh, uh, yeah, I had something like that similar happen, happen to me. Um, you know, it's amazing, even though all our stories are, are very individual and different, that there are, definitely are some common themes running through. So um, I, I hope that I have uh, helped people either feel like they're, as I say, not the only idiot on the planet, you know, <laughs> referring to myself as the idiot, um, or it's kept other people from, from making similar choices. And I know um, a couple of people who are on the much uh, younger end of the spectrum uh, than what I thought of as my target audience. Um, and a couple of those people, um, uh, some women who are in their late 20s, said, I'm absolutely petrified. And I said, good, you should be. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, these things aren't happening to you now, except for, you know, they're in a, a place where they could be loaning um, a boyfriend money or, mm-hmm. or co-signing something. But looking at all the things that, that happened to you as an adult further down the track, um, I think there are a lot of things they hadn't um, had never even thought about. Yeah, I think uh, especially for women, sometimes we have this false story that we tell ourselves. It's like ongoing in our head that we're not good at managing money. That um, I don't have time. I, my husband's better at it. And so what happens is we, you know, we we turn a blind eye. And so naturally in every relationship, there will be that one person who will kind of step up to take 
more con- more kind of an overseeing role of the finances than the other person because that's just kind of I think what naturally happens but that's not to say that the other person should stay in the dark you should always demand insist on transparency so even if you're not the one that's paying the mortgage or even paying the writing the check to the mortgage company that you know exactly what the mortgage amount is where to find it online and if you had to step into that role that you could do it seamlessly Oh, I, I totally agree with that. And one one example going on from my uh, you know, personal horror story was I realized I needed to move out of the apartment that we were living in. And um, so I started looking for a new apartment for myself. And I called our current landlord to say, look, I'm moving out. I'm just you know, letting you know because you'll be getting reference calls. And he sort of grumbled and said, your rent is several months behind. And my husband had been supposedly paying the rent. And so I had no idea we were behind on the rent um, because he was in charge of paying it. And I just assumed that, that he was doing so. Uh, fortunately, I was able to get the reference and get a new apartment. But mm-hmm. it's exactly what you're saying about there having to be uh, transparency. Yeah. And if there's any resistance to being transparent, that's a red flag. Sure. What is your financial philosophy, Valerie, now that you have kind of come out of the woods a bit and uh, have been enlightened? Um, would you say what would you say is your is your guiding financial principle? Um, I would say that um, you have to be focused on saving for the future, but you still have to have room to have fun now, and you have to kind of find that that balance, and it's going to swing back and forth. Um, you don't want to be totally focused on the future, um, and you know you might die to tomorrow, and the future will never come. And at the other end of the spectrum, you don't want to be totally living it up so that um, you know, later on um, in the natural course of retirement or if there is some some kind of problem you didn't anticipate that you can't uh, deal with it then. Yeah, striking a balance between affording your needs for today and also planning and affording what is ahead in the future, i.e. retirement or college for your kids. Uh, it's a, it's very easy to feel as though the, th- the stuff in the future is um, you know, well, it'll take care of itself or it's so abstract. I don't even know where to begin. Um, but you have to commit to making that uh, at the forefront of your financial planning. I agree. What was Valerie Rind like as a kid growing up in the sense that I'm curious to know what was your money experience as a kid growing up? What were your financial influences, at the very least, what was your one biggest money memory that was influential as now an adult, you look back and you go, you know what, I learned a lot from that experience. I think it would be um, around uh, cars, strangely enough. My parents were um, not the slightest bit interested in flashy cars. I mean, they would have had the means to buy something uh, nice, but it just was not, um, that was just not in their values. And um, they paid cash for for cars. They didn't have car loans. Um, They also didn't give me a car, which of course I was very upset about at the time. Um, I would have loved to have a car and I would have loved to drive something other than, you know, the station wagon. (laughs) That's Um, so retro though. Now if you had a station wagon, you'd be like the coolest kid at school. I know, I know. Um, And so I don't know if that's why it's carried over that um, 
I'm still not overly yeah. interested in cars. Like I have one, and I'm not given my living situation and work and everything. I'm not in the um, oh, I can get by with just a bicycle uh, camp. <laughs> Um, and I thought to myself the other day, if I could have any car in the world, what would it be? And I still didn't come up with an answer. Um, yeah, I guess it'd be nice to have you know X brand or Y brand, but I think what would really appeal to me would be to have a driver. Yes, <laughs> I, I concur. I think that is so money. <laughs> yeah. What about? Well, we already talked about your the chapter in your life dealing with the financial dishonesty in your marriage. Uh, what would you say, though, is your greatest financial failure? It, it doesn't have to be this cataclysmic event, but you know, a, a period or an event that was not your proudest financially. Right. Well, as I said at the start, there were two aha moments. And the other one, um, also the experience with um, my now ex-husband was... Um, I lent him um, an amount of money um, which he used for his startup business. And it wasn't like he said, oh, I am starting this business and here's my business plan and could you please contribute X thousand dollars to it. Um, He started this business. I didn't ask anything about it, um, like where's your business plan and how much are you putting into this and what are you going to do if that money runs out and uh, so on and, and so forth. How it came about was he called me at work and said, I'm having a cash flow problem. The bank says um, I need five thousand dollars. You know, can you know? Can you loan it to me? And you know, he was my husband, and I trusted him, and he had done so much for me. He had supported me when when I was in law school, which was the only period in my entire life that you know that I haven't worked. And so I was like, of course, if you need five thousand or ten thousand, whatever it was, um, you know, of course, you know, tell me where to transfer it to. And it just um, it snowballed and became another loan and, an, and another loan um, to the point where I pretty much lost everything. Um, and uh, so that's a pretty big fail uh, to lose your life savings and, and not get paid back. And it led into that whole, again, the whole trust thing of, well, he's my husband, I should trust him too. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, this isn't, this isn't working out with... Um, him uh, following up on the original promises. Uh, So that was pretty bad. What would you say now is your biggest success, your so money moment? Did you ever feel vindicated from that episode in your relationship that you feel like you came out on top? Besides, of course, writing a a tell-all book about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, the the book wasn't any kind of Uh, getting back at him or vindication or anything like that. It goes back to what I was saying before. I just wanted to show people they weren't the only ones who made um, any kind of mistake and to keep other people from from making it. But I I think going from losing everything um, and then moving and getting a new job and and sort of building it all back up to the point where um, I was able to buy a house uh, and a car (laughs) Uh, I did, yeah, I did have an auto loan on the car, and I did love that car. Um, what but, kind of car was it? Uh, it was a Volkswagen Beetle. Nice. Yeah, I loved it. My mother-in-law has one. It's a yellow. It just makes me happy. It's yellow, and it just I feel like it's smiling at me all the time. Yeah. Uh, what's a personal financial habit, Valerie, that you practice that helps you keep your money in a safe place? Well, when I was more 
uh, sort of anal about these things, I would bounce that checkbook to the penny. You know, it all had a, you know, it all had a click. And over the years, um, I've gone to more electronic payments. I hardly use the checkbook. I don't write anything down in it, and I don't balance it, in, uh, which is probably all bad habits. But um, as I said, since everything's pretty much electronic, I, I check my credit card um, transactions every couple of days. Um, it's partly a, a check on how much I'm spending, but it's it's also a check to make sure there isn't any kind of um, identity theft going on. I mean, I would recognize instantly if there was something um, that that wasn't a charge of mine. You know, whether it was two dollars or two thousand. So um, having a look at that every couple of days um, um, keeps those things in check. For sure. Okay, Valerie, we are almost wrapped here, but before we go, we got to do our so money fill in the blanks. Oh, like a game show. <laughs> like a, exactly. Tell them what they tell her what she's won. Um, okay, so if I won the lottery tomorrow, you know, a hundred million dollars, half a billion dollars, you know, just basically an immeasurable amount of money. The first thing I would do is I would run to my accountant um, and my financial planner and say, "What do I do?" <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, good. I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't run out and spend it. I wouldn't walk into work and say I quit. Um, at, at some point, you know, relatively soon, I would have to say um, I'm leaving. I would want to finish things out so I weren't leaving them. So I wasn't leaving them in a bad place. Um, but I wouldn't be one of these people who just like walks in and say I won the lottery. You know, I'm done. You still don't want to burn, burn bridges, even if you, you know, even if you win a hundred million. Oh no, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Okay, the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? House cleaning. Yes. You know how often I get that, especially from women, obviously. Um, I love it. I'm a big fan of that. I've just upped my own house cleaner to once a week from twice a month. There you go. I'm once every three weeks. And at first I felt um, guilty about it because I live, um, I just moved to a really, really small house. And I thought I should be able to do this. And then I thought... I should be able to do something better with my Saturday morning. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like what is your time worth really, you know? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that that was a bit of a guilty pleasure, but you've gotten over it. What is a guilty pleasure currently that you spend a lot of money on? Um, well, I have a guilty pleasure, but I, I don't spend a lot of money on it. But, you know, I just love Twizzlers Red Licorice. <laughs> so it's not it's really the simple expensive. things. Yes. Right, right. Yes. And when I, w- I was living overseas and I, I couldn't get it there, so I'd beg my family to send it. And they would say, you do realize the postage costs like, you know, yeah. 50 times. But it's comforting. It's, you right. know, it's, oh, wow. You know, it's funny when you're overseas, the things that you miss, you know, like, when I was studying abroad in, in France in college, I missed soft pretzels. I missed bagels because you can't really get those in Paris. Every, you know, I love croissants, but it's sometimes you just want the taste of you know being back at home. So I completely, I completely relate to that story. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is I wish I'd known that it was actually unusual to have no debt. It was unusual not to have a mortgage and car loans and how important that was for for your finances. I just kind of thought that the way my family was was the way the rest of the world was. And it um, wasn't until much later I I could see that um, um, the rest of the world didn't work that way, that most people did have mortgages. Um, 
I remember uh, when I paid off the um, the Volkswagen Beetle, a, a boyfriend at the time said, um, wow, I've never known anybody who paid off their auto loan. Um, and that was just stunning to me that, um, that people mm-hmm. considered that an auto loan was just something that you always had. Right. You know, debt is fine as long as you can manage it and there is an end to it at some point. You know, that right. you don't look at it as part of a, like a way of life. Absolutely. Right. And when, I wasn't in a position where I could buy the car outright. So, um, you know, I don't think that that was a bad thing that I had that debt for uh, for a couple of years, three years, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Helped you probably increase your credit score. Right. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because... I give to um, a local theater here because I just, I love their productions and uh, because they're small, um, they seem to really appreciate it. When I give to my university, <laughs> my uh, alma mater, they're kind of like, ho hum, next year, can you give twice as much? <laughs> Whereas um, the theater is uh, really appreciative and I can see the results. I mean, I don't, I don't look at the money that I gave and I see, you know, a costume or a set design and say, I bought that. But um, it, it's more tangible and I like that. And finally, I'm Valerie Rind, and I'm so money because? Because I talk the talk and walk the walk. Absolutely. Valerie, thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to share all of your links to the book and your website at somoneypodcast.com. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for writing your book. And uh, we wish you the best rest of the year. Thanks. Same to you. And uh, hope everybody out there got their taxes done. I know, right? When By the time you're listening to this, we really hope you've got your taxes done. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, Farnoosh. Thanks again to my guest, Valerie Rind. Her book is Gold Diggers and Deadbeat Dads, True Stories of Friends, Family, and Financial Ruin. We've got the links for this as well as where else you can find Valerie over at somoneypodcast.com. And I hope you'll come and visit because there, there's lots of goodies. You can ask me a question about money or your career or whatever's going on in your life that I might be able to help you with. Uh, just click on Ask Farnoosh. And every weekend, I dedicate the show to answering your questions. And there, you can also get the transcript from this interview. You can get a free ebook that I put together called So Money Secrets, uh, Financial Habits of Highly Successful People, including Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss. Uh, And by the way, if you'd like to connect with me one-on-one, you know, we'll break down barriers. We'll just connect you and I over Skype for 15 minutes. Uh, You can become eligible for the drawing. I choose one person every week by going onto iTunes and leaving a review for this show. So if you do that, um, hopefully I will pick you. I pick a new person at the top of the Saturday show. So if you're interested in this, I encourage you to go on iTunes and leave a review. And thank you in advance. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Hope to see you right back here tomorrow. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money.